Hello and welcome to the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast, the only consistent podcast about the Copa Libertadores, South America's greatest club competition available uh, pre and post every single match day. And at the end of an incredible tournament in 2019, it is Flamengo against River Plate in a one-off showpiece occasion in the final of the Libertadores. And on the pod this week, uh, like... Well, planes passing at 30,000 feet almost. I'm on the way to the airport. You're just uh, a few days coming back from the airport, Ollie. But right now we are both in the southeast of England. And we were also joined by Pedro, Flamengo fan Pedro, who offered his thoughts. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it, evening, afternoon, whichever time of day you're at at this point up in the air, Windsor. Um, I, I will say at this point, I only really want to talk about Independiente del Valle or the rumours that I'm trying to create of Mauricio Pochettino to Boca Juniors. I don't care about the final of the Libertadores <laughs> at this point. It's all about either the past or the future. Um, no, it, yeah, it should be a cracking final on Saturday, mate. Really looking forward to this one. Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, it's going to be a great one. It's Flamengo against River Plate in the final in Lima. Uh, yeah, we're in the pod, Ollie. What did we discuss? Well, I think it, was felt, it felt quite comprehensive, mate. We discussed uh, the players, the managers, the style of play, history, journey, journey to the final, and pretty much everything in between. Yeah, best 11, which threw up a couple of surprises, even to myself, who was picking the surprises. But yeah, a couple of surprises in our, our joint best 11s. Uh, of the two sides of the Libertadores will have loads of fallout after the game, I'm sure. But really, this is all about the build-up, all the big news, all the team news, all the runs of form. And it's all about what's going to happen on Saturday uh, with the two best sides in the competition finally squaring off. It feels like we are coming to quite a cathartic end, Windsor, to to what has been a pretty hectic uh, Copa Libertadores season and getting this podcast going and everything like that. But I do think we're going out with a bit of a showstopper. Absolutely, mate. Uh, it's going to be a cracking game. So, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the game and more importantly, enjoy the pod. Apila takes it down, takes the strike on and fires Boca in front. Might be a second one here for Bruno Enrique. Into the bottom corner. Double delight on the night for Flamengo. Decisive from 12 yards, and the Brazilians are well and truly in the driving seat now. This is McAllister to go! It took an inflection, but you can't take it away from the debutant. We normally start with the weather and we do a bit of both. Uh, yeah, honest, no, I, I, quite, I quite like the weather stuff, because it's very British, we always start with the weather. Have you got the washing machine on, by the way? Uh, oh yeah, dude, can you hear that? Yeah. Okay, let me let me pause it. No worries. Probably won't put that in the pod. <laughs> All that. Well, <laughs> I tell you, I'm going. I've got a parcel coming, um, and I don't know when it's going to come, but I guarantee it will come during the recording. So we'll okay, leave that okay. in if I have to go and get the parcel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, we can always leave the washing machine, and I'll leave it up to your editorial judgment. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, it is the it is the final that the neutrals wanted, as you were saying, man. Yeah, I was just going to say it is uh, absolutely the final that the news just wanted. And I'm flying out tonight to South America to cover it, of course, Ollie. And we are actually both, we're not in the same room, but we are both in uh, both in pretty chilly southeast England, Ollie. It's cold. I've got back from South America last Friday and it's a shock to the system when you go from 30 degrees to four. So as always, whenever we record these, Dave, I'm a little bit jealous that you're flying out to sunnier settings this evening. Um, yeah, it's, it's not bad though. It's dry. It's fine. Like it's cool. Yeah. I've got the heating on inside. We're, we're sat breaking down the Libertadores final. What more could you want? Absolutely. I always think it's a, it's a tricky aeroplane attire as well. Because if you stroll up to Heathrow in shorts and a t-shirt, in anticipation of the beautiful South American sunshine you're going to be drenched in, it's uh, yeah, it's always a difficult play. Oh, you look like a mug if you're doing that. It's the same person that wears shorts and t-shirt on the way back, and then they land at. 6am and you're freezing your nads off kind of thing at Heathrow no it's all it's all about enough room in your bag that you're taking on to be able to put a jumper in so you can wear a jumper to the airport and then once you get to the airport you can take that off sit inside get on the plane and then you don't have to touch it for the next week while you're out in Argentina how about this fashion and clothing attire tips from the Wilson and Windsor podcast <laughs> I've, <A> little bit. <laughs> I've never been I don't think I've ever given fashion advice in my life and, and you of all people know exactly why that is I think so <laughs> 
And then you are broadcasting it to the masses, Ollie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I generally speak about a lot of things confidently without any idea when I'm doing sports broadcasting. So uh, why not go That's into the... the fashion world with that as well? <laughs> the key to success. <laughs> so the final then, Wilson. Flamengo against River Plate in the 2019 Coppa Libertadores final. Pretty exciting, eh, mate? Uh, if everything builds up to what we want it to be, it should be an absolute cracker. I, I do have one reservation that has crept in over the last few weeks or so. And I'm a big fan of Comedy Ball changing it to one final. I had a discussion with uh, a couple of people who feature on the podcast heavily, Joel Richards and Peter Coates, last week about it. And they did say, you know, the uniqueness of the Libertadores having a two-leg final is something that they're going to miss. And I completely understand that. But I like the idea of a one-night-only Winner takes all, 90 minutes, neutral venue. Showpiece. Yeah, it, it makes it a real standout affair. The one thing that I have reservations about that is, though, is that it does perhaps limit attacking sides because there's the thought of one mistake could ruin an evening as opposed to having a second leg to pull it back in some way, shape or form. Because these two sides both like to attack. We've seen throughout the tournament they both like to score goals. But will the one-night, 90-minute setup? mean that there's a bit of edginess, a bit of nerviness about both of these two teams. Yeah, I've heard a lot of the pros and cons, Oli, for obviously traditionally in Libertadores competition, it's been a two-leg final. This is the first time in Libertadores history that it will be a one-off showpiece, winner-takes-all occasion. So I can definitely see the pros and the cons, and we'll talk about the uh, the River fans taking a 50-hour bus journey to get from Buenos Aires to Lima a little bit later. So there's certainly logistical elements to it, but... Um, yeah, listen, in terms of, as you said, they're, they're two attacking sides. They're two absolutely huge football clubs on the continent. And it's it's just all set up. You never know in finals. You can get a really ugly, scrappy nil-nil and, and it goes to a shootout. But on paper, from a neutral perspective, this is a very, very watchable final. Yeah. Um, and particularly with River Plate, we've seen them get better and better throughout the tournament. And you would argue that in the... First leg of the semi-final against Boca, we probably saw their best attacking football. And, I think so, yeah. And their best performance of the tournament. Obviously didn't see it in the second leg as much. You probably expect that going to the Bombonera. So it, it's poised for River to be at their best. And it's definitely poised for Flamengo to be at their best because they're just they're brilliant. They are fantastic. Let's um, First of all, Oli, I'll just go through Rivers, River Plate's run to the final. River Plate, of course, one of the giants of Argentine and South American club football. And, and as you said, they've taken a little while to get going. Defending champions of the Libertadores after beating Boca in the final sensationally last year in Madrid. In the group stages, they had Alianza Lima and Palestino and Internacional. They only won two out of six games. They were unbeaten in the group, ended up with 10 points, finished second in the group. It was a group really where River never got out of second gear. They did just about enough. I remember, Oli, you commentated on probably their most exciting game in the group, which was a 2-2 draw away at Internacional, wasn't it? Yeah. But yeah. They, came, you know, they came through the group unbeaten, got the job done, as, as kind of defending champions can do, I guess. And then in terms of the knockout stages in the round of 16, River, well, they played out two legs against Cruzeiro. Both were 0-0. And they squeezed through on a penalty shootout. And I remember as well, Armani making an incredible save in that tie to deny Cruzeiro. So... You know, they absolutely scraped through that to get to the quarterfinals, Oli. It was not what we were expecting from a Gachado side. And particularly, you know, we saw uh, the, the final last year on European television, but we don't often get to see a lot of River Plate over here in the UK. So getting to go out and see a lot of them, there's high expectations. And, and you read and you do your prep about Gachado and the influence he's had. And then you see them going through the early stages and the group stage and the early knockout stages of the competition. You think, is this really a side that, you know... It's What's gonna, the fuss about? It's going to dominate all in their, in their way. Yeah, completely. And I think you would have been well within your rights if you're just watching River for the first time to think that. And yeah, the way they squeezed through against Cruzeiro wasn't particularly impressive. Against Serra Porteño, the, the Paraguayan outfit in the quarterfinals, they were more impressive. One 2 0 at home, 1 1 in Asuncion in Paraguay. And then they went through to the semi finals. And as you mentioned, Ollie, that first leg against their arch rivals, Spocker Juniors, at the Monumental, when they won 2 0, was a very, very efficient, confident performance. Uh, and in the second leg, they did lose on the night in La Bombonera 1-0, but it didn't matter overall. It was a really, it was a defensive performance from Boca and River did enough to get through over the two legs and that puts them in the final. Not a spectacular route to the final. The fact that we're even picking up um, moments and passages throughout the entire tournament where River have looked great shows that they haven't been fantastic throughout it. 
but they haven't had to be, and they take their place in another Libertadores final where they'll where they'll face uh, Flamengo, Oli. Yeah, what I think um, with Rivers' journey to the final is you look at it and you say, in the group stage, they had to face at least one very good side in Internacional who went to the knockout stages themselves and perhaps could have and should have gone further in this competition. I don't hold any grudges against them in any way, shape or form for me backing them quite early on in this competition. Mm. Then they had to face Cruzeiro, who were one of these standout sides in the group stage themselves and were excellent in this competition in the early part of it. And, you know, it was unimpressive, but no goals scored, no goals conceded going through on penalties. Fair enough. You face two big Brazilian sides in that step. Then you face one of the Giants footballing sides in Paraguayan football in Cerro Porteño. The atmosphere in that second leg away from home was absolutely cracking. Uh, yeah, it really was. In the in the new pressure cooker, as the, mm-hmm. the ground is uh, called. And then you take on Boca, your arch rival, on, on possibly the, the second biggest occasion on the continent. So what you would say with River is that they have beaten real quality going through this competition. And when they've faced real quality, you know, they haven't stumbled yet. We haven't seen them until that Boca second leg. We haven't seen them lose a game in this competition. Sure. And you would begrudge them. Uh, so you wouldn't begrudge them losing that game in the Bombonera because everybody goes to the Bombonera and loses. It's what you do in the first leg or on home soil that gets you through or not. And they did more than enough to ensure that that took place. Maybe still, you know, with the uh, controversy of that early penalty. But either way, River have done what they've needed to do. Much like uh, I've done in my career, you always just think, go to the <laughs> next level. Don't don't excel yourself too much. Just do enough to get to that next level and see where you can go. Sure, sure. And, you know, it's not, even though Flamengo, which we'll talk about, Flamengo have been utterly fantastic in the last three months. You know, if you look back on their journey to the final, it's not exactly only like they've been spectacular throughout either. No, we'll run through Flamengo's group. They had San Jose, Bolivia, Liga de Quito and Peñarol. Liga de Quito, obviously playing in Quito with the altitude of Ecuador, uh, certainly have an advantage in group stages as well with three home games. Peñarol, one of the giants of continental football from Uruguay. And it all basically came down to a winner-takes-all game against Peñarol to see who would go through behind Liga de Quito as second place in the group. Flamengo started with three wins out of four to start the group, but they lost to Peñarol at home in the Maracanã. They lost away at Liga de Quito in the group stage as well. And they picked up a nil-nil draw. They played Peñarol off the park, but couldn't find a goal in that game. And it was all a bit nervy and edgy throughout the group stage. You know, started brightly, but then drifted off and drifted off. And it was no real surprise then that Abel Braga, the manager at that point through the group stage, was removed. In came Jorge Jesus. Didn't start well in the competition in the round of 16, taking on Emelec from Ecuador. Lost 2-0 away from home. But since then, Flamengo have been excellent. Mm-hmm. 1-2-0 uh, on home soil in the second leg of the round of 16, which was an absolute cracker, particularly the opening 25 minutes when Flamengo were just right at him. Gabi Gold was brilliant in terms of his finishing. Obviously scored a penalty in that game. They went through on in a penalty shootout. Then they took on Internacional, the Brazilian side, who, who River faced in the group stage. 1-2-0, drew 1-1 away from home. Then they took on Gremio in the semi-finals. Uh, drew 1-1 at Gremio. Should have been more. Should have had five. They made sure they got five in the second leg of the semi-final on home soil. A 5-0 victory going through 6-1 on aggregate. And it's those games, the second leg against Emelec, Internacional and Gremio, that I really look at because that's when Jorge Jesus had had time. He'd established his side. He'd established his tactics. And that's the Flamengo that we have going into this final. This all-attacking, goal-scoring Brazilian side. And that 5-0 performance against Gremio in the second leg. And for those that don't know, you know, Gremio won the competition in 2017. Three straight semi-finals. It's an absolute top quality Gremio side. And for Flamengo, as you said, they threatened to do it in the first leg and they did do it in the second leg. A 5-0 win in the semi-final second leg against Gremio. It was just an absolute statement performance uh, for what Flamengo are all about. And they've, they've certainly excited uh, excited their own fans and a lot of neutrals and gained a lot of supporters along the way to set up this Flamengo against River Plate final. The only thing I'd say about Flamengo's run, which is slightly negative, is that A, the group stage wasn't that impressive, and Peñarol haven't been that impressive. We saw that when they dropped into the Copa Sudamericana as well. They weren't good against Emelec at altitude, yet they were excellent in for about half an hour, 45 minutes in the second leg of their round of 16 game S- against Emelec. Still needed penalties. Still needed penalties, Oli. And let Emelec back into it on the counter-attack quite a few times mm. in that second half of the second leg. And then they face two sides that they know well in the quarterfinals and semifinals. 
They haven't bounced around the continent. They've been in Brazil. And it's always better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Sure. And that, I think, may just be something that stands against them going into this final. Jorge Jesus has only played in Libertadores one side from outside of uh, of Brazil. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. Um, let's talk about <laughs> Flamengo then and their style of play and just how good they are. Uh, Flamengo, the you know they are the best supported club in Brazil, arguably the biggest football club in Brazil. And what we've seen in the last, as you said, since Jorge Jesus took charge, and what we've seen in the last two or three months is certainly an albeit we've only been covering South American football extensively this year, Oli, but. They are head and shoulders above anything else I've seen personally on this continent in terms of their fluidity of attack, their absolute appetite to score goals, of course their individual quality which makes their style of play accessible and possible, but also the high European line which is of course brought by Jorge Jesus who um, you know, has a history of success in Portuguese football, but I, you know, I, I can't speak for you, but I know that we've discussed this and, and we kind of echo each other. I mean, they are so much better than everyone else on this continent. Yeah, there's without a doubt a massive influence from from the European style of football. Uh, it was interesting. I was reading some, obviously, in the build-up to this final, there's been a lot of people have been saying that what Gachado brought to River Plate when he first took over and what has taken place under his reign has been a revelation in South American football. But Jorge Jesus has just taken it to another level. You know, Gachado brought in the nice work around the top final third uh, with neat triangle movements to create chances, sliding balls across the 18-yard box. What Flamengo have done is put that all the way across the pitch. They work wonderfully in the little triangles down the sideline to create space. They have fantastic players in the heart of the pitch like Deaz Caeta and, and Jessen as well, who's come in from Roma this year to, to be the ball winners and ball players in the heart of the pitch. In Bruno Enrique, they've just got a wonderful number 10 who can roam anywhere across the front line. And in a number nine in Gabriel Barbosa, they've got a bit of a wild child. And I still stand by that. But what they also have is a goal scorer, an out and out goal scorer that you can pretty much rely on inside the 18 yard box. Very much. Maybe this is too high praise, but like an, an Alan Shearer of the Libertadores this year. <laughs> yeah. All he's there to do is there to bang it in. He can hit from outside the box and he'll certainly be lethal inside the box. And so they, and- they, are, they are just a, a level above every single side on the continent at the moment. Yeah. No, they absolutely are. And that, that front, you know, Gabriel Barbosa and then that Bruno Henrique, Deir Ascaeta and Everton Ribeiro, that front four, I believe, if you take the top four sides away in each European league, they could play for most, and I really mean most, European sides in the top four or five European leagues. I do think they're that good. Uh, as you say, Bruno Henrique, I mean, five goals, five assists in the Libertadores this year. He's simply a fantastic footballer. He's the best player for my money in the competition. Um, and yeah, what Garchado's done with River, and we'll talk about River's style of play in a moment, has been very, very, very impressive. But this, in terms of quality of play, and I haven't lifted the Libertadores yet, Flamengo, but in terms of quality of play, individually and collectively, it, it is it is a step above. And I think you put it all down to the manager, because he's come in with the exact idea of what he wants to do. And it was so interesting earlier in the tournament when he was saying in interviews, I never really understood what the Libertadores meant, and now I do. And so it's only been like the social adaption that he's had to have done into understanding yeah. the, the Brazilian footballing mind, the footballing process. Because, term- of course, language wasn't a problem and, you know, identity. He understands exactly what he, what he wants to do. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you look at the signings that he made as well. You know, he brought in Rafinha, he brought in Jess and he brought in Pablo Mari, he brought in Felipe Luis and he brought, uh, he, he brought in players from European football that Who would fill free. those missing gaps. Yeah. Uh, no, listen, I... It, they're very impressive, but they, I do think there needs to be a... They bought the best players that any South American side could could buy, you know? Mm. So th- th- there's... I'm not saying, you know, putting them all together and, and finding this um, finding this incredible collective mentality amongst the squad is, is very impressive. But they also... That is a quality squad of footballers. You know, it doesn't discredit what Jorge Jesus has done, but I think it's worth... It is worth putting in the margin. It's, it's definitely an asterisk that says, well, you, yeah, you compare the financial clout, even of the finalists, and, and with supposedly River, one of the biggest sides in South America, and they don't come near to the financial resources that Flamengo have got with them at the moment. Um, and, and yeah, you do say that look, they're able to play people, pay people on big wages. They're thinking about keeping Gabriel Barbosa full-time and trying to get that deal sorted out with Inter Milan. You know, the fact that they can hold that sort of financial clout to be able to bring, bring players like that. And there are 
players coming into Brazilian football, not regularly, but there are some lesser names that perhaps don't fancy the MLS in their in their older age and and some big names well you know Danny Alves joining Sao Paulo for instance you know that he's going to be on good money there is a lot more money in Brazilian football in the way it's set up than any other nation on this continent and so Flamengo always have an advantage but you see from what you know Chelsea had when they first had money to take it to an English context with Manchester City it takes a long time to get success even if you've got the players there the difference is that Jorge Jesus is coming in June and has found a style and a system that works for the players that he's not only brought in, but for the players that he's got as well. And completely agree with you saying Bruno Henrique is the best player in this tournament. Because you look at him and you think, he's a bit lanky. He's a bit mm. he's a bit skinny. There's not much muscle on him. Sure. But he's a ball winner. He's a ball runner. And he's a great passer. And he's got Good a lovely finish. Well, you know. Yeah, he's, he's kind of a f- complete package, but without yeah. really being a jack-of-all-trades. Sure. He's very good at everything that he does, uh, and he reads the game wonderfully and has a great chemistry with those around. You mentioned Everton Ribeiro and Arascaeta, and, and they all just feed into Gabi Barbosa too. Yeah, it is. He's, he's so impressive. Um, yeah, before we talk about River Ollie, let's uh, let's have a listen to our man, our man Pedro, who's... A big, big Flamengo fan. He's, I think that goes back through many generations of his family. He's a Rio boy, spent the last few years of his life in London. But uh, let's hear what Pedro thinks about Jorge Jesus, about the final, about uh, expectation on Flamengo, and whether they're a little bit scared of River too. I think there's too much experience on our side to fear that. Uh, you'd be insane not to respect it, though. You have to respect that. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. You guys will know it better than I do. But what was it? Three finals in five years? That's incredible. You know, there's no way that's not going to be in the back of your heads. But at the same time, there's no way it's going to be in the back of their heads that we have players that have won the Champions League. We have players that have won the World Cup. We have players, you know, we have a manager that has only been in the job for less than a year and is already in the final in South America. If I had to pinpoint one weakness on Flamengo, I wouldn't say it's tiredness. I think a lot of players have rested and they're playing a final, man. You know, they'll find an extra bit of gas in the tank. I wouldn't say it's aging. I think that Felipe Luiz is only 34. And Rafinha, you know, their their class completely outweighs their age. I would probably say it's given Flamengo's tactic of pressing so high up the pitch. If River is able to pass through that first line of defense, they're going to see that the defenders are going to be exposed. And I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a weakness that, you know, there's a lot we can do about it. It's just part of the tactics. You know, if you're so high up the pitch and you manage to steal that ball all the way up there, you're going to find River completely exposed. However, if River is able to pass through Aron, if he's able to pass through Arrascaeta, and then he, you're just looking at the last line of the four defenders, you know, there's a chance they're going to score. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm confident that Flamengo will win, even though I do believe they're the better sides. And I'm not just saying that, Ali. I truly believe that. Um, but I am confident that it's going to be a very good game. You guys have been talking about it for a while now in your podcast, that if you were to pick the two teams to be in the final, you would have picked Flamengo and River. They definitely have been showing the best football in South America. And in this final, I am going to be very surprised if we don't see any goals. I'm going to be very surprised if we see one of these teams playing more defensive than they usually have. I think we're going to be talking about this final for a while. I am so excited about this. I'm nervous, but very excited. But yeah, definitely confident. This is going to be a great game. And as for River Plate then, Ollie, listen, their style of play is set in stone. You know, my when I was thinking and looking ahead to the, to the final on Saturday... That eleven that Gachado has is basically the same eleven that was that was uh, that played in the final last year. You know he's got that set structure. There's a couple of players that are different with, uh, you know, Nico De La Cruz uh, coming into the lineup, and so too Matias Suarez. But essentially, he's he's got his style of play, Marcelo Gachado. He's at the moment he's working with a four four two, which there's one or two rumours that, that he might change. But they're not. They are an attacking side, and they do have quite a high defensive line. They're not as fluid and as fantastic to watch as Flamengo, though, are they? That's just the reality. 
it's a completely different style of football that is set up with the fact that they're playing a 4-4-2. You know, what they need is they need to get the ball wide and have two target men in the middle, one that can perhaps join on the front part of a, of a triangle on the right or left flank and then support from a, a central midfielder inside as well to create those crossing opportunities to feed into the likes of, you know, Dela Cruz or Waite at the back post coming off that left flank and and, and one of either of the two strikers in, uh, in Bore uh, or, in, or in Suarez will be inside the 18-yard box as well trying to make a darting run towards the near post. It's not... But you can't have that same style of football. You can't be as as open as a, a 4-2-3-1, for instance. So so it's never going to be as aesthetically pleasing. But what you do have is you have a tried and tested system that works wonderfully for Gachado and the players he's got and the style of football. I just do wonder that, and we'll come on to um, the point about a change in tactics in just a moment, but I will just wonder, are, are people going to have realised this style of football and someone like Jorge Jesus with the experience they've got in this Flamengo side, particularly that he's brought into that defensive line, they'll be able to say, yeah, we've dealt with 4-4-2s before. Don't worry about that. Mm. We got this covered. We can snuff that out. Does he have an extra twist in it? You look at the league form over the last few weeks, and bear in mind that in the last three league games, he's pretty much played the exact same side that started against Boca in that in that second leg of the semi-final. has, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They lost to Rosario Central 1-0 in their last home game yeah. in the league. Uh, which was a pretty poor performance with the exact same starting eleven. Yeah, uh, full strength. Yeah, only just got past Colón with a two-one victory with that same side, and uh, and made one change to the team that that played against Aldecivi, uh, and got a uh, got a victory, but still conceded. You know, it's not. You look at Flamengo; they're on a twenty-four game unbeaten run in all competitions mm. right now. River Plate don't have that luxury. Whether it's because they've got a more competitive league ahead of them, whether there's been more rotation, but in the last few weeks there hasn't been as much rotation. And it's not as convincing as uh, a record as, as Flamengo have coming into this tournament. Yeah, and I think, you know, I looked at the odds for the final a couple of days ago and I saw Flamengo was slightly better than evens and I couldn't believe that. Because if you've watched Flamengo or River in the last two or three months, I know River are the defending champions. I know they've won it, uh, you know, 2015 and 2018. I know they've got Gachado. But individually and collectively, this Flamengo side are so much better. I couldn't believe that. I really couldn't. I thought they'd be more like three or four to one on. Mm. Do you think? Um, do you think with Gachado though, that's the X factor for them? It, it's the. I was going to say I don't think River can win this final, but I think Marcelo Gachado could. I don't, I'm not saying he will. I think he could win this final for River. That is the only way I can see River winning the final. Um, in terms of, you know, in terms of uh, Gachado's style of play, it is so. The, the two fullbacks are so so important. And as you mentioned, Ollie, they've played this 4-4-2. He's got his 11 set in stone. Any other coach, and you would bet your life that that 11 is going to play in the final on Saturday. However, we know Gosciano's done this in the past, and there's one or two rumours about how they've been experimenting with a 3-5-2 in training. It would be, even for Gosciano, such a bold call to scrap this 11 that he's absolutely been playing consistently now for three months. It's a set in stone 11 to bring Diaz into a back three, either drop De La Cruz, who's been fantastic, or Palacios, who's very, very highly rated, to fit in another defender, to allow Montiel and Casco, the two fullbacks, perhaps a bit more room to go on and push up against Rafinha and Felipe Luis. That's the idea, you know, for River, for River to go from this 4-4-2 that is their system, that's Gachado's system, to suddenly go to a 3-5-2. I mean, to say it would be a surprise would be an understatement. It would be a surprise. You mentioned it's happened before and, and it happened the last time that everybody's talking about it in the Argentinian press is, of course, the, the first leg against Boca yeah. in the final last, last year. year. So you know that he's got tricks like this up his sleeve for the very big moments. And it's something that actually in across the board in sports, you like to know that your manager has. OK, yeah, we've done this. We've played it. Yeah, you, you go and watch our game tape. Yeah, see how we play. All right. Well, we're already set up. Also, isn't this why they brought in uh, Diaz in the first place? Sure. That they knew yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. That there was always an idea that he was going to be a big influential signing. There was a lot of talk about him when he turned up at the club earlier this year. And it was it's only been a few months now in the in the South American winter, our summer window, of course, that, that he signed from. And he's barely played in, in league and obviously in the Libertadores as well because he's got this set style of football. But, and Gashada wanted him, absolutely was adamant that he was the one he wanted. And and there is surely a reason for that. Mm. And and whether Gashada is is almost arrogant enough in like a Jose Mourinho way to think, hey, 
we're going to get to the final. I'm going to need something different. Or, yeah, but or I'll need it at I, some point if he's just prepared really well. But is he also humble enough, Ollie, to realise that he's looked at his 11, he's looked at Flamengo's 11, and he's, he's humble enough to realise that 11 against 11, Flamengo are a much, much better side. And then that's where the individual arrogance comes in, that he can, he can balance that humility with, OK, I'm arrogant enough to change what we've been doing for the last three months to play this system because I think I can out-tactic, if you like, Jorge Jesus, because I can't match them up 11 against 11. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't surprise me at all, particularly when you look at what then the potential starting 11 would be and you think you'd have Martinez and Pinola and Diaz, three very good defensive uh, players in the heart of that back five, back three, if you want to call it 3-5-2 or 5-3-2. Or that, that really causes problem for Gabigol because he's got no space suddenly whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Everywhere he goes, there'll be at least two around him. It also then causes a, a bit of a problem for Bruno Enrique because he likes to work on the split that Gabby Gold can, can force centre-backs to do and find space in the heart of the pitch. So suddenly that's snuffed out. So you're then going to have Montiel and, and, and Casco bombing up the right and left respectively. And as long as they're disciplined enough to time it well, you should still be able to then cover the pace down the flanks that that Flamengo have. Particularly as Bruno Enrique often starts out on the left, but he likes to come inside so much. So actually Montiel might have a bit more room suddenly to go up against, let's face it, an ageing Felipe Luis. Yeah. And then if you I, I if mean, you take uh, Nico de la Cruz out, you'll have Palacios, Ignacio Fernandez and, uh, and Enzo Perez in there as three players that can hold, but Fernandez gives them a bit of creativity as well in the middle of the park. And if the if the wingbacks can support the attacks well, then that's fine and dandy. It puts more pressure than on Ascaeta as well in the middle of the park. And then you've still got two good forwards in Suarez and Borre. I mean, and... Yeah, but it, it, it stings me, Holly, when you just say, oh, just take Nico De La Cruz out. You know, this is... <laughs> Nico De La Cruz has been fantastic, if not River's best player, I think, in the Libertadores this year. So I don't know. It's well, you. I mean, it doesn't fit. Twelve into eleven doesn't fit. Someone's got to drop out, and it's either you, you're not going to drop Enzo Perez. Obviously, he's a different player. who's going to sit in front of that um, back back three or back five, however you want to uh, play it. But it, it's either going to be Palacios or Dela Cruz that drops out. If you're the boss, which one of the two do you drop? You drop out Dela Cruz because Palacios plays more centrally, and those three in midfield are going to be moved into a more central role with Montiel and Casco. And yeah, but Dela Cruz, can you could shift him in slightly and. Oh, I, I think and he's, he's, if, if he's, Dela Cruz is on the bench on Saturday, I think he can be crying inside and he'll be fuming. Also, Dela Cruz is a better player to then have coming off the bench and be an X factor if they need it. But he got Quintero to do that. Well, I mean, this is the other thing that blows my mind about River is that we've kind of been waiting all year for Quintero, yeah, Quintero, yeah. Quintero. He's going to be back from injury. He is the star man, the the creator, sure. the goal scorer, and we we it's probably odds on we're not going to see him in this game. Oh, well, he'll be on the bench, I, but I, yeah, he'll be, obviously he'll be on the bench, and if River are losing, I think he'll he'll be thrown on. But yeah, I mean he's not going to start in no way, shape, or form, unless that's another Gashada curveball, and then in which case <laughs> do you, do you lose both Palacios and Delacruz? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and if River are one 0 up with ten minutes to go, he's not coming on, is he? So it's it's only if River are losing that he uh, might get a sniff. Um, Ollie, should we have a little look at the combined eleven? Then I know for big games, people like to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, it didn't take too long actually to do this. No, I mean, when I when we were just chatting pre-pod about, oh, yeah, let's do a joint best 11, I think we both immediately almost sniggered because, you know, how many... It's not really a best 11. It's Flamengo's 11, and then do does a single River Plate player get in this Flamengo 11? Well, get in this joint 11, rather. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you straight off the bat. How many uh, River Plate players are in your 11 that you've got? One. You've one. got one? Yeah. You? I've got three. Okay. Yeah. I've got three only because... Diplomatic, Ollie Wilson. No, no, I'm getting my tactical head on as well here. Right. Um, so, and the... Who's your keeper? The first one is Armani. Yeah, okay. Because because of some of the saves that he's pulled off in the knockout stages in, in very close games as well, particularly against Cruzeiro. He was phenomenal. I remember that incredible save from Point Blank. It was kind of similar to that... 
I mean, you like your Italian football, so, and of course, you remember the uh, Shevchenko against Jerzy Dudek in uh, 2005. Oh, yeah, cheers. Thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, yeah no, of course. But, you know, it's a, it's a similar kind of wait, what? What happened? Yeah, didn't just, you know, it's... bravery gets his body in the way, ricochets yeah. off the frame of the goal and away. But a he, bit of luck, sure, but okay. He's had, he's had a few cracking saves. There were, there were a couple as well against Sarah Patenia uh, away from home um, for for River that, that were very solid stops. And, I'm not saying it's had a bad back line in front of him in any way, shape or form, but I think he's been probably tried and tested a little more at times. Whereas uh, Flamengo, on the other hand, particularly in the earlier part of the competition, were very leaky. And I'm not saying it's all the keeper's fault, but I'm going with Armani. Mm. I, I, yeah, it it wasn't a tough one, that, to be honest. Okay, well, for me, it's Diego Alves. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, but yeah. That's, uh, I think he's a better goalkeeper. Armani has those kind of great moments in him. And listen, you cannot discredit what happened against Cruzeiro in the shootout as well. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, sometimes I see Armani when... And I know Flamengo aren't necessarily going to be throwing crosses into the box all the time. But I, I don't like him. When he takes about three steps from his starting position forward, I just don't like him. I think he, I think he's dodgy. But that's... Okay, so you got one in. Yep. Uh, what about your back four? Back four is the Flamengo back four. Rafinha okay. and Felipe Luiz left and right, uh, right and left back respectively and uh, Rodrigo Caio and Pablo Mari. Okay, this is where I my one River player that gets in is uh, Gonzalo Montiel, the right back, 22 years old for River. I think he's super exciting and I think I'd have him ahead of Rafinha. Fair enough. I, I just go. I'm going with experience on uh, on my back line, um, okay. it, particularly in those fullback positions. Which I it's weird to think that fullback positions could be so important coming into this final. Mm. To be honest, but I do think part of the game could be won and lost there. All right, what's your what's your midfield? What formation are you going with, by the way? Well, mate, the rest of my team is Flamengo, so I'm going <laughs> basically. Fl I'm going Flamengo's team and formation, except Montiel gets in there at right back. Fair enough. Okay, that's it. Uh, so. You've got William Arrow and Jason as your holding midfielders then? Yeah, and I can't possibly feel like you're going to replace one of those with Enzo Perez, are you? I am going to go with Enzo Perez because <laughs> I would want somebody more stable than William Arrow in front of the back line. And Enzo Perez is more than happy to do that dirty work. Okay. Uh, and I, I yeah, I, I, I've really enjoyed Enzo Perez. Kind of, He doesn't get lots Unsung of... Unsung hero, you mean? Yeah, he doesn't get lots of praise, but he does his job really well, I think, in front of a back line. Uh, then, now this is controversial but I've gone with Nacho Fernandez Arascaeta and Bruno Enrique as a three playing behind Gabriel Barbosa so you don't have Everton Ribeiro don't have Everton Ribeiro he's the weaker link out of the front four so wait a second Oli you drop Dela Cruz from Rivers lineup, but you keep Palacios in a Riverside but you would squeeze Dela Cruz into a joint best 11 no no Dela Cruz isn't in my 11 no Nacho Fernandez oh so you said Nacho Fernandez okay yeah. Okay, yeah, big, yeah, okay. I mean, I like Nacho Fernandez, but he's not a better footballer than Everton Ribeiro. I mean, you're maybe thinking in a more profound tactical way than I am. <laughs> I think, I think to be honest, I have gone a little bit too managerial <laughs> into it. But I do have think you played this out on Football Manager or something. Not, like? not yet. I, I'm going to get it set up actually later on this afternoon and uh, and see how it works. But I do, I do no. think Nacho Fernandez playing on the right, Bruno Enrique will come in from the left, and Arascaeta just in behind Gabriel Barbosa is kind of the way that. As a manager, I would set that up, I, and I do. I do think he's closer to Everton Ribeiro than you than may be perceived. I think. I think Fernandez has got a very good all-round game and is a wonderful provider at times as well. I think is. I think some of his final balls and uh, and his ability to create in the final third is is as good there. I think actually, Everton Ribeiro third man running as well. He's. I think Ribeiro has benefited a lot from players around him, whereas I think Fernandez does a lot more with a lesser group around him. Okay. And I mean, I, I mean, I'm a big Nacho Fernandez fan. I really like him, Ignacio Fernandez, but, uh, I, and I love the way he kind of makes that late run into the box. Mm. I think it's really, it can be really effective as we saw against Boca actually. Uh, and then you've got, uh, Gabby goal as your number nine. It has to be. Yeah, it has to be. He is just, I, I don't love the guy. I don't love parts of his game, but he's an out and out finisher, as I say. And, I think either Suarez or Bore would lose their spot in a starting eleven if Gabby Goal was available. Yeah, I mean he's not. He's, he's got seven goals in the Libertadores this year. He's uh, yeah, he's a machine. He's a goal machine. Yes, everything's set up in that Flamengo side to feed him, but he is fantastic. I mean, we saw uh, Flamengo played uh, Gremio at the weekend, and uh, Gabby Goal gets himself sent off. And as he's walking off, he counts. Uh, I don't know whether you saw this. He counts like his five fingers to the Gremio fans. Mm. 
in uh, in reference to what happened in uh, Libertadores semi-final uh, second leg. So yeah, he's a real he's, classy um, guy. He's a real classy yeah. guy. Well, he can't afford to get sent off in the final. That's for absolute certain. But there are a couple of other players that I thought could have got into this eleven. I mean. Enzo Perez and William Aral was just uh, it was basically like a flip of a coin and I think there was a bit of mm. I've got to have at least a one river player player in this team and eventually ended up putting a couple more in the other ones now I'm not personally sold on this but I know that a lot of people really highly rate Javier Pinola yeah which I I really don't because unfortunately the times I've really focused on watching him and, and seeing River he's been absolutely terrible and that includes some of the games that I've seen of River in the league and mm-hmm. and it, he's he's been prone to errors when I've seen him but people really rate him as a leader and and as a very good centre back obviously uh, alongside Martinez in uh, in the back two for for River and the other one was Nico De La Cruz and I just think it's more age and experience and when that comes sure. the Uruguay he's a as you say he's a great little player to watch scored that brilliant goal against Sarah Potenia in the quarterfinals. And yeah. will probably next year or the year after will be in the a starting eleven if River make it to the final again. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I know what you mean about Pinola, the experience, but, I, you know, I just couldn't have him in ahead of Rodrigo Caio or Pablo Mari yeah. uh, for Flamengo. But but even though I've only put one... Let, let's do... Uh, let's let's predict the final then, Oli, because I'm going to say... I know Flamengo. I know I've spoke. We've spoken now about in the entire pod about how much better Flamengo are, and they are better. I don't think. I think somehow, Gachado's going to find a way to win this trophy for River. I think River Plate are going to win. Really? <laughs> well, yeah. I, I just. This is so big for Flamengo. They've basically wrapped up the Brazilian um, the Brazilian league. They might. It's a ninety minute game. Maybe there's a few nerves in the air. They're not flawless. They're utterly fantastic, but they're not flawless. And I don't think River Plate win this final. I think Gachado wins this final for River Plate somehow. And that probably involves an hour before kickoff, when we look at the teams, and you see Gachado's pulled out a 3-5-2, and Diaz from nowhere's in the 11. It probably involves that. I, I, yeah, I think somehow River win it. You? I am not too far off your train of thought, if I'm honest. Mainly because I go back to what I said earlier. And that's a one-game, 90-minute, plus extra time and penalties, potentially, uh, final. River Plate, as you said, basically have the same side from last year's Libertadores. Mm-hmm. The, the, that side that's been through a final that was rain delays yeah. that in the Bombonera in the first mm-hmm. leg, and then second leg, riots, moved to Madrid, still won it, convincing. So they know how to do it on the big stage. It's a Flamengo On the side. Biggest stage, yeah. Flamengo side that aren't there, haven't been there recently. There's so much more pressure on them as well. This is like the life of luxury. I know River obviously are desperate for it. The fans are really desperate for it. But this is the life of luxury for them, for Gachado, mm. to win three in five years, three Libertadores in five years, to win two back to back is pretty much unprecedented, especially sure. in modern South American football. So this is like bonus time for them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it's not a free hit because it's a Libertadores final, but the pressure is all on Flamengo. There's no doubt about that. And for River, as you said, last year was just this historical hyperbolic triumph where they've beaten Boca in, as you mentioned, the most extraordinary circumstances. That's in the bag. That's done. And to top that off, they've knocked out Boca in the semis this year. So this is, it's, you know, I'm not going to, they can't play with freedom, but like I say, probably nine of the 11 walking out on the pitch in Lima for River have played in it last year in a bigger, what was a bigger final. So and they won't be nervous, will they? And Gachado can do what he wants because it is now just Gachado we trust. That's that's yeah. everything. He's got the, the statues being built outside the Monumental already. <laughs> I mean, he, he is, he doesn't need, to, he could walk out of that club today or the night before the final. He could leave River and he'd still be beloved because of what he's done. So I, yeah. so I do think the pressure is off. I just think that Flamengo, as long as the nerves don't get to them, I think they're going to get this. It, it will, it'll be closer than expected. And I think it will mm. be a one-goal margin. I'm praying it will be a 3-2 and we have an absolute classic on our hands instead of a 1-0 yeah. a, a or something like that. Especially as, hey, somebody's actually picked this up in the UK and we're going to be able to watch it on British TV, which would be great. But Yeah, so the, the rumours are true, Ollie, then. It's going to be on the BBC. BBC 2. BBC Two on Saturday yeah. night. That is a big spot. Yeah, it is. You know, when I heard it was going to be on the BBC, I was convinced that I looked to see. It's BBC Three, BBC Four. Is that a thing? I thought they'd squeeze it away somewhere there. But um, 
Yeah, fair play to them. Yeah, uh, so I'll, we'll actually be able to watch it in the UK, uh, and and I think we're going to end up seeing Flamengo win it. And I, I don't think you'd say that they wouldn't deserve it in any way, shape, or form. I just think they are, as we've said, yeah, they're, they're a better, the they're side. a better side. And I, th- I hope that we're just thoroughly entertained by it more than anything else. And yeah, it's. Can I just give some love before we wrap up the podcast? Because I know we're getting towards the end. Can I give some love to Comibol? And this oh, is, please do. This isn't like a pandering to, to Comibol in any way, shape or form. But they've done two things in the last week that I think have been in the last two weeks have been really smart from them. Because we knew they were desperate to hold this in Sa- this final in Santiago. You had yep. We touched on the, the iconic moment of the third goal going in in the Bernabeu and, and yeah, it's saying yeah. see you in Santiago and that could be fate for River Plate, etc. But they've had to move it. But they have at least moved it. They haven't tried to persist with everything that's going on in Chile. And I, I credit been them decisive. To, to at least f- making that move, making the smart move. It's right for the people of Chile. It's right for the fans traveling. Uh, and, and it's right for the competition and people watching around the globe as well. So it's great that it's in Lima. It's a cracking stadium in Lima as well. Yeah, uh, it looks fantastic. So that should, although there were some weird things like you're not allowed to take caps and sunglasses into the stadium. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a, there's a few T's and C's that might get ignored. Yeah, but you are at least allowed uh, choreography paper and flags of a certain size, apparently. So we should still get a colourful spectacle. Mm. The other thing is, we, we've bemoaned VAR at times uh, as football fans globally around the world. But, and this isn't really to do with VAR in itself, but Diego Haro, the Peruvian official yeah. who was meant to be in charge of VAR for the final went out and spoke to a radio station which is a big no-no anyway for officials this week before the game and he said that uh referees can't have assumptions going into the game when he was asked about river players like simulating and diving Uh, but then he followed that up with saying but we have studied the rivers players and their simulations and, and var will be watching he also said that river have this wonderful football in south america but Flamengo have only just found a philosophy under Jorge Jesus, which yeah, that was the line for me that I, I thought was um yeah, which is like it's kind of like saying oh River have been fantastic for our for our mm. nation uh, for our continent of football, Flamengo oh yeah they've only just found this kind of winning idea under their new manager and with the money they've got like that's the kind of reading in, be- in between the lines attitude for it, and, and rightfully so Diego Harrow has been dropped this week and he won't be in charge of VAR. Correct decision, 100%. Again, just really smart from the organising body to say, look, we're just not having... If you want to be a referee on VAR and try and milk the limelight for this moment that isn't about you, like, get out. We're not having this. Really smart. Really smart on the organisation. So at least we're going to finish this competition, I think, with the two best teams and the best outcome, really, for everybody involved, organisers, football clubs, supporters, and hopefully viewers when we get a great game of football. Yeah, completely agree. Should be fantastic. Um, I just wanted to touch very briefly, Ollie. This is uh, this is perhaps something we can talk about in the post uh, post Libertadores final pod. But just just touching ahead a bit, because I know in Europe we don't. I'm going to say there's not really that much interest in the Club World Cup, right? Which is going to be played in uh, in Qatar at the end of this year in December. But in South America, it is a pretty big bloody deal. And Flamengo won it in 1981, beating Liverpool in the final. And if Flamengo win it and they go to the Club World Cup, and, and chances are they'll face Liverpool in the final again, it would um, for Flamengo that would just be um, be huge. Well, I mean, for many years I thought it was the World Club Cup rather than the Club World Cup. So yeah, I mean that shows how little sometimes. It may well be. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. What which which tournament? Is well, it? it's, um, it's a constant rebrand, isn't it? But it is it is a tournament, at least, that yeah, we take for granted as European football fans because we we look at, and you would argue rightfully so, the Champions League is the pinnacle of club football just because that that's where the highest level of competition, the biggest stars in world football are. But for these other nations, yeah, it's definitely seen, and other continents, it's definitely seen as getting one over on the biggest stage, European football, if you win it. So... Without a doubt, Flamengo, I mean, they've just wrapped up the Brazilian Serie A. If they win the Libertadores for the just the second time in their history, it's only their sixth league title as well that they're, they're winning. Uh, they've won in, yeah. in Brazil, which is still just quite a, low. But basically, yeah, all but mathematically won at least. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, and, and, and yeah, then they go and win a, a Club World Cup. I mean, that's, that's a phenomenal year. Yeah, astonishing. Jorge uh, yeah. Jesus gets handed the keys to the freaking kingdom, doesn't he? At that point, like it's whatever you want, we'll give you. <laughs> but similarly for Gachado. Oh. oh yeah, I mean that if noise he, tells if you he everything. Wins it, 
I mean, mate, if he wins it and he wins three in five years, what did Zidane win at Real Madrid? Was it three in five? Something like that. Or three in four? He won three in four or something Three and four, yeah. Three and four, yeah. So, and that was with Real Madrid, who are the biggest club in Europe, like historically in terms of trophies. I mean, I'm not dismissing anything Zidane did, but, you know, what I would say is Gachado's achievement were he to beat Flamengo and uh, and live through in five years, that for me would be equal to what Zidane did at Real Madrid. Oh, oh, and probably more because in Europe you have more of the haves and have nots, whereas Mm -hmm. in South American football, I think there are haves and have nots in terms of the clubs, but at the same time, I think it's a, it's a, the, gap between the haves and have nots is, is way less in South American football um, and also yeah that's the perfect thing then for Gachado should learn from Zidane and then leave and never come back as opposed to then leaving and coming back again like just sure. just go just go or wait 20 years before you come back kind of thing yeah so then you can pose next to your statue and have them and, yeah, and yeah, I will exactly. I will say and we probably will touch on it like we mentioned it to you just before we started recording the, the comments of the former River manager Ramon Diaz who was manager of Gachado's 1996 Copa Libertadores winning side kind of saying look I would take the reins if they needed to and and if Gachado went after the final and we've had everything about the Barcelona speculation just you know you I mean I said to you last night Gachado should take Tottenham and that's changed very dramatically this morning (laughs) yeah but but it, it does start to point towards Gachado perhaps looking at leaving after this final I think he has to. I think he has to take the next step. So the final, Ollie, will be Saturday night, 8 o'clock UK time, right? That's correct. 8 o'clock. And it is on, <laughs> as we mentioned. I mean, it's quite crazy. It's on BBC television. Uh, if you've got loads of interest in the Libertadores or you've got zero interest in the Libertadores, watch this final because it is the two best sides on the continent. And there are so many. You know, Ollie and I in the past, what, about an hour have touched on some of the subplots. But... Um, there's so many more than that, Ollie, isn't there? So, and if you, you, know, if you, if, if you need to know yeah. any more, you should go back and listen to the earlier versions of the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast and you'll be all up to date with everything going into this final and know exactly how South American football works. Good man, good man. So watch it. It's Flamengo against River in the Libertadores final. And we will be back with another pods post-final, yeah? Probably on the Sunday or Monday, Ollie. We'll, we'll chat. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a chat on the Sunday. So that's it, a tournament almost done and dusted with. The Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast has one more to go and we'll be recording that on Sunday evening Argentinian time once we know who is the winner of the Copa Libertadores 2019. If you want to get that straight away, remember you can like, subscribe and download the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm and Spotify and many more as well. You can email us, willwinpodcast at gmail.com. That's willwinpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. David Windsor is at David T. Windsor. I am O underscore J underscore Wilson. Joel Richards is at Joel underscore Richards. And Peter Coates at Golazo Argentino. Uh, Use the hashtag Libertadores pod to send us your questions via Twitter. And all we have to do now is crown a champion. Join us for the final podcast of the season. We'll be back then. Thank you.